The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm excited to bring God's Word. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Before we begin, I'm going to tell you a story about a boy named Charles Spurgeon. He grew up in a joyful household of Christian parents. His parents and grandparents were Christians, and he received a great deal of good Christian reading and literature from them. He would read the book, Pilgrim's Progress, weekly or even yearly. He would continuously read it so that he read it over 15 times by the time that he was in his teens. He read Fox's book of, books of, book of Martyrs and things like this. But most importantly, he would continuously read the Bible with his parents and by himself. And they would take him to church on Sundays to hear the preached word. Charles, at a young age, would be under deep conviction, knowing that though he was good in comparison to his friends and the world, he was under the judgment of God. Charles would then claim that as he came to realize this conviction, he was miserable, and that he could not shake the feeling of judgment from God because of his sin. This is what he writes in his autobiography. He says, For years I remained under deep conviction of sin until one Sunday morning in January 1850, a snowstorm forced him to cut short his intended journey and turn into a primitive Methodist chapel in Colchester. He says, The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to the text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. We had managed to spin out ten minutes or so. He was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And just fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance. However, it was a good blow. It struck right home. And then he continued, he said, And you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. 
says, oh, I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The preaching of the word of God caused this man, Charles Spurgeon, to be born again. The preaching of the word caused Charles to escape his misery of being under deep conviction of his sin. And to look to Christ, to know Christ, to encounter Christ. The preaching of the word enlightened him to see the forgiveness that is in Christ. And it was through an untrained man, simply being faithful, preaching the word. In our text today, Paul gives Timothy a charge. He says, I charge you, Timothy, preach the word. And that is simply what we aim to do in the pulpit, to preach the word, because the word saves. The word of God became flesh, dwelt among us, and he died on the cross for our sins, that we might escape our misery. Let's pray. Lord, we, th- we thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you, God, for giving us your word and giving us the ability to meet together and to preach your word, that we might be encouraged, that we might see Christ, that we might encounter him, that we might see his forgiveness on the cross. God, I pray that you would strengthen me this morning to preach clearly, faithfully. And God, I pray that everyone in this room would have ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ this morning. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning we'll be going through 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. And the main focus of this text, to Paul and to Jesus Christ, is the seriousness of this task of preaching the word faithfully and consistently. So I have two points, and then we'll end with some application points. My first point is, I charge you. And the second point is, preach the word. So if you were not here with us last week, I'll try my best to revise what Caleb had said from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. The two previous verses of our text talks about the word of God and that it is breathed out by God. And that word is our Bible that we have now. And he also brought to our attention that though man wrote down the words of Scripture, it is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. So it is perfect. It is complete. It is not with error because it is from God. And he just used man to write it down. So we have the word of God directly from God himself written down by man. And this word of God, as Caleb told us last week, is profitable for us. It is good for us to have the word of God. It's profitable for us in teaching in understanding and knowing who God is, in reproving and bringing to light sin, and for correction for us to be able to repent of that sin and to turn to Him and to train us in righteousness. And then he finishes up by saying that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. There is nothing else that we need. The Bible is sufficient for us. Now this is all very important as we consider the next five verses. Let's begin in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Point number one, I charge you. The first word he says is I. Who is I? It is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means that he came into contact with the risen Christ. He knew him, and Christ chose him to be an apostle. What is the significance of an apostle? It is this, they are chosen by God to be the foundation of the church. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You, the church, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, but he had apostles that were going to be the foundation of the church. The apostles were first given the Holy Spirit. And Peter then preached the first sermon on Pentecost. And many believed that day and were saved. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Nothing can be built without the cornerstone. The apostles were the foundation to build from there. It says, I, the apostle, charge you. Charge. This is the strongest word Paul could have used to Timothy in his call to him. Charge means simply this, to strongly urge or to exhort someone. He says, I charge you, Timothy, to earnestly and with authority to do something that is of extreme importance. Right? He doesn't say, I charge you for something that is of little importance, but is something of extreme importance. That is to preach the word. A charge is usually declared with witnesses, so that there is no mistake as to what has been said. and There's no backing down. We've seen you under oath take this upon yourself. So the picture Paul is trying to paint is this. Paul is calling young Timothy to the front of God's judicial bench and charging him under oath with the awesome task of proclaiming God's word to hearers who in a similar way will one day stand in front of that same bench. Paul is so confident that the preaching of the word, that Timothy needs to do this, he brings Jesus Christ, he says, as his witness. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Why does he refer to Christ as the judge? Why does he say, Christ who forgives sins, preach the word? 
Well, I think there's a couple reasons why. Judgment gives us a sense of three things. One, urgency. Right? Judgment has a sense of urgency in it. And the fact that, that judgment is going to come, you need to do this now. Do not wait. Preach now and keep doing it, Pastor Timothy. Do not give in to the fads that the world brings, the, the philosophies, the politics, etc. When you are in the pulpit, preach the word. Judgment is coming. This is urgent. The people need to hear from God and no one else. Souls are at stake. The second thing is the imminence of judgment. That judgment is near. The judgment is near. You do not know when Christ will return or when you will die and you will go and meet him, the judge. We have no idea when this is going to be. Our days are numbered. And we know we don't live forever. And we do know we live in a sin-filled world where bad things happen frequently. Preach the word. Your people need to prepare themselves for judgment. The third thing is the certainty of judgment. Judgment is not an if statement. It is a when statement. It says, Christ who is to judge the living and the dead, that encompasses all peoples. There's nobody who's, who has ever been born who is not in one of those categories, alive or dead. It is going to happen. And if that's true, what is more important for a person than to prepare themselves for that judgment? Preach the word. Judgment is coming. And then he says, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now we talked about his appearing, Caleb did in Hebrews chapter 9. I think here he's talking about his second coming, his second appearing. His first appearing was when Christ came into the world, right? The first time, born of a virgin. And in Titus chapter 3, he talks about his first appearing. He says this, For we ourselves were once foolish. Paul speaking to Titus. Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. This is pre-conversion. This is before Christ shows up. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Right, so there is a time when we were in our sins. What he's saying: we were once foolish, disobedient, we were led astray. But then Christ, our Savior, appeared to do something, to get rid of our sins, to bear it on his body on the tree. He says, when he appeared, he saved us. Not because of anything that we've done. The only thing we've done is sin, continuously. He says, not because of works done by us, but because of his own mercy because of who he is, because he so loves you. His first appearing was the inauguration of the kingdom of God. 
Mark chapter 1, the time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Jesus was there. He's saying the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. The king is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then one last verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28. He says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the first time... He came to bear the judgment of sin. The second time, those who are waiting for him, he is coming to save them, to bring them to himself, to eternal glory. But don't be fooled. Jesus came the first time. If he comes the second time and you are not in Christ, judgment is coming for you. Repent and believe in the gospel. I charge... You, who is you? He's talking to Timothy. Timothy is a recipient of this message, but what is the significance of that? What does that mean? What is the importance of that? Well, the charge to preach was given to Paul by Jesus. And now the charge and need to preach the word is being passed down from Paul to now Timothy, who is a regular pastor. So Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear that the preaching of the word does not stop with the apostles, but it continues on with us. I charge you, Timothy, you're not an apostle, but preach the word. It is the word that has power. It is the word of God because it is from God that has power to save. Therefore, it is our duty as the church to preach the word. That's the significance of it. That's why we stand up here and preach every Sunday. It's not just because we want to. It's because this is the way that we are charged to in the scriptures. So to to sum it up, the charge of Paul to Timothy is of utmost urgency. Paul calls the presence of God in Jesus Christ to bear witness to his charge to Timothy to preach the word. And Christ Jesus is the judge of all peoples, living and dead. And Jesus came the first time to bear the sins of many. He was coming a second time to save those who eagerly await him. Preach the word that your people might eagerly await their Savior. That's the goal. We want you to be prepared for judgment. We want you to be prepared to await your Savior and eagerly await Him. When you die, you will be in glory forever and ever, and it will be much better than your life here. Point number two. Preach the word. What does the word preach mean? Preach means to herald a message or to announce publicly a message that you have to a group of people. So I am the preacher this morning because I am the one up here announcing a message to you. Now, it is not my message. It is the message of God. It is 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5. 
Now, preaching, we might think, well, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching is different than teaching in a number of ways. One is that preaching is a persuasive proclamation that also teaches. It reproves, it rebukes, and exhorts people. But I am coming up here to persuade you to leave sinful ways behind and to look to Christ. I am up here persuading you by the love of God to come to Him and to not lean upon your own strength, but to trust in Him. I'm up here to persuade you that it is better for you to lean on Christ than to lean upon yourself or to trust anything of this world. Now, I'm I'm, I'm up here trying to persuade you, but I am sticking to the text. I'm not going outside of the text. I'm trying to persuade you because God has said it. That's why I'm trying to persuade you. I'm not going to give you a sales pitch because... I will get a commission based on how many converts I get. I am preaching to you because I think it is the best thing for you to know Christ, to encounter him through his word. The second thing is preaching is a monologue, not a dialogue. Teaching can be a dialogue, but preaching is an event where one person proclaims the message at a time and everyone else listens. Not so that the focus is on the preacher, but so that everyone can hear the word of God. Third thing, preaching is is not a time of debate. This is kind of under the monologue part, but it is a time to sit and to simply just listen and to receive the word of God and to be fed and to grow. This is your chance to grow. There are times for debate. There are times to ask questions. And I think you should ask questions if you have them about God. But preaching on Sunday mornings is not the time to do it. We have Bible studies. We have community groups. We have these ways. We have pastors, including myself, who are happy to answer any questions that you may have about God. You should ask them so that you know who he is. Preaching is also for the heart's and not just for the minds. Teaching is typically something that informs you of something, that that gives you new information. But preaching is not just to inform your head, though it does do that. It is to renew your mind in the Word of God. But it is to have your heart be aligned with the Word of God. I am trying to preach to your affections that you would love Christ more, that you would not just simply know about Him, but that you would know Him personally. That is a must for a Christian. Preaching also allows you to just taste and see how good the Lord really is. Now I'm going to ask another question. Why? Why preaching? Why has God decided to use preaching? Well, the first thing is that the subject matter is of First importance, life and death are on the line. That is why we must preach this message. It's not about just preaching in general, but it is about what you are preaching. We need to dwell upon the Lord and we need to slow down. We live in a fast environment where we go from one thing to the next. But this is a time where we just slow down and hear and listen and reflect to be in communion with God. 
The second thing is, we, we preach because his sheep will hear his voice. That's the reason why we preach. Those who are truly Christ will hear the true shepherd and follow him. Sheep need a shepherd. They must hear his voice in order to follow him. Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. He says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's true. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We preach because faith in Christ comes from hearing the gospel. And they need someone to preach the good news to them, to understand it and to know him. The third thing is God has decided to commune with his people through the means of his word. By believing in it. Right? So it's not enough just for you to just hear the word. That's not what the point is. The point is that you would receive his word into your heart. That it would change you. That it would affect you. That you would believe it. We were made to be in fellowship and communion with God. But our sins, Isaiah says, have made a separation between you and your God. The problem was us, not God. He has hid his face away from us because of our sin. Because of our indifference towards God. Because of our disobedience to God. Because of our hatred of God. Because of our love for ourselves. And light has no fellowship with darkness, so God who is holy cannot fellowship with us without destroying us. But we learn that his word had created everything out of nothing, and then the word that created everything out of nothing became flesh and dwelt among us. The word took on flesh and took on much more than that. He took on our sin and judgment that we could finally be in communion with him. That we could be clean. That we could be righteous before him. The word is Jesus Christ as he paid the price for our sin. At his death, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil was meant to separate us from God because he's too holy. But Jesus Christ, in his death, he separated that he completely tore that veil so that we can finally be face to face with him let us draw near to the throne now since we have a high priest who has paid for our sins and his word the bible shows us the word jesus christ we cannot know him apart from his word we also preach to combat false teaching. Preaching the word to believers continuously reproves us, right? It brings our sins to light. It brings our faulty thinking into the light. And then it corrects us. It shows us what's right and to follow that. Preaching the word shows God's people how to keep walking the straight and narrow. 
Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Verses 3 through 4, if you'll see here. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Right? So he's saying, Timothy, preach the word. There's a time coming when the people will no longer endure, which means that they came for a little bit, but then they leave. They leave the word, they leave the truth, and go on to satisfy their itching ears with another teacher who just teaches them something that they want to hear. They're sick of hearing judgment. They're sick of hearing that they are sinners. They're sick of hearing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. I want something else. That time is coming, Timothy, where people will no longer endure. But preach the word that those who are your sheep will hear. Those who are your sheep will continuously to hear the shepherd's voice. Another way that preaching is important is that preaching is a way for the pastor to minister to all the people of the church at one time. Pastors cannot simply know every single one of our issues. He cannot minister to each person each week as best as he wants to, and as much as we want to, we just simply cannot do it. But this is a way for all of us to sit under the same word of God. For all of us to be encouraged, to be exhorted, to be rebuked by his word. The goal of preaching is not merely that we understand the word of God. Though that is a purpose, but that we know the word of God. That we know him, Jesus Christ, who it points to. Now I want to ask now, how are we to preach if you look with me in verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So as we preach the word, right, we're going to do it in season and out of season, which means in dry times and in, in times of joy, but also it means in times when people are following many myths. They're leaving the truth. When people are fascinated with a new philosophy, be ready in that season and out of that season. Stay true to the word of God. We are to preach the word by reproving, by bringing to light sin, that we might look more like Christ. That is the goal for a Christian, to be more like Christ. To rebuke. A lot of times we can't see our own sin. We need to be verbally rebuked. You are sinning. Stop sinning. It's against God. Return to your Savior. Leave these foolish ways behind. And exhorted, we need to be encouraged and urged to follow Him with complete patience. Right? Pastors, anybody who is a teacher, who is a parent, uh, who is a Christian, knows patience. Not, not simply because uh, you, you, you yourself realize how patient God was towards you, but, but people around you, right? Your kids will surely show you how impatient you are. But think about how 
patient God was towards you in your sin. That for years upon years, you did not trust in Christ. But yet one day, he decided to reveal himself to you. Through teaching, through preaching. And your sins were washed away. And then even after that, how long it took you to get rid of your sin. To repent of your sin. Pastors, preachers, parents, be patient. Be patient with your children. Be patient with your flock. It does not happen overnight. Maturity takes a long time. We're in it for the long haul. This is not a sprint. With complete patience and teaching. So we as pastors and parents and anybody who teaches, we cannot assume that a person can do something without knowing first about it. So that, that, that means that I cannot expect, or Jonathan cannot expect me to work on his helicopter engines because I have not been taught how to do it. If he says, do this, and I say, yeah, I'll do that, I am being foolish because I have not been taught how to do this. I am, I am one fooling Jonathan, but I'm also fooling myself and the company. If you are a Christian, right, we hear the Word of God so that we can conform to the Word of God. If you don't know what the Word of God says, there is no way you can conform to it. It is impossible. Study your Word. Listen to the sermon. In season and out of season. At all times, continuously preach the word of God, pastors. Continuously listen to the word of God. Now, the word. What is the word? The word, as we talked about earlier, is breathed out by God. It is the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the Bible. This is all scripture. It is the word right here in your very hands. Paul is charging Timothy to preach the word. And it is as simple as that. Pastors ought not to go outside of the word of God. Not saying that you can't use them, but you must focus all of your attention onto the word of God. For that is profitable for the people. When Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word, what is the message of the word? The message of the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not explicitly named in the Old Testament, but it is pointing forward to Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. In John 5, verse 39, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures point to Jesus Christ. Just because you read the word does not make you Christian. It is turning to Christ that you may have life. All scripture points to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 through 4. If you don't know this, you would do your soul a ton of good to memorize it and to look over it over and over again. Paul, after 14 chapters 
of exhorting the Corinthian church, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, because you need to be reminded, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is the message? It's this. For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is the word that he preached to them? It is the gospel. It is the fact that Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures, the Old Testament. He died in accordance with that. He rose from the grave in accordance with the scriptures. That is the main point because that is what saves people. That is what causes Christians to stand until the very end is that message. The word is powerful not because they're words, but it's because of the one who says it. Last week, Caleb mentioned the phrase, says who? Referring to the authority of the message. Who can say as Jesus did and actually have it mean something? Whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Says who? Says Jesus. He tasted death once for all. That all who believe in him will never taste death. Jesus can say that because he conquered death. Therefore, he has authority. Now I'm going to do a couple of application points. First off, to the pastors, preachers, those men who are interested in becoming an elder pastor, preacher one day. This. First off, keep it simple. Do not get bored with the word. Do not get bored with preaching the word. How can you be bored with somebody who forgave your sins? How can you be bored with the message that you are hinging your eternity on? How can you be bored with the word of God became flesh for you? Keep it simple. Preach the word. Number two, love the word yourself. Feed yourself before you feed the sheep. You need to feed as well. You are a sheep as well as an under-shepherd to these people. Keep the gospel of first importance. There is going to be times and seasons to drift away from the gospel, to be creative and to follow something new, but the gospel is what saves. It has for 2,000 years. Keep the gospel of first importance. Number four, be a student of the Bible yourself forever. You will never know the entirety of God while you're on this earth. Keep studying that your people may know God, that you may know more of God. Number five, listen to good preaching. Find encouragement yourself in others who preach the word faithfully. It's easy for us who, who teach to just, just teach and not to hear the preached word ourselves. We must hear it as well. Number six, in verse five, he says, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. 
pastors, teachers especially, we need to be sober-minded. And what that means is be alert. Be alert of what's going on around you. Be alert of what your sheep are hearing. Be alert of the false teachings in the culture. Be alert of what is going on. And help feed your sheep correctly. Be alert. Endure suffering. We do not know how this will happen or if it will happen in a physical persecution. But when it does, when something terrible happens, endure suffering faithfully. 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Be prepared. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Right? When you preach, there are unsaved people in the room, even in our church. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach to the unsaved. Correct false teachers. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And finally, pastors, teachers, fulfill your ministry. Do not fulfill anybody else's ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill the ministry God has given you. Right here in Massapequa is where God has you right now. Fulfill your ministry. If you are a parent, fulfill your ministry to your children. Preach the word in season and out of season. Pastor, endure ministry to the end. Endure that your sheep may also endure. Pastor, wherever God places you, do not fulfill somebody else's ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now to those who have fallen asleep because you are not a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, this is to you. Be here on Sunday mornings. That's what you need to do, first off. Be here to hear the preached word. Preaching is not simply for the guy up here. It is for the congregation to hear the word of God. I'm preaching to myself as I am up here. So be here. God has ordained that we meet with Christ in a special way through the preaching of his word. You are doing yourself a great disservice if you decide to stay home and sleep. It might seem very, like it's the best thing to do during that day. You might say, I am so tired, the best thing for me is to sleep. I get it. But the best thing for you is to hear the preached word. Number two, listen actively. Right? Just because you're here does not mean you're here mentally. So what can you do? Get sleep. Sleep is huge. Sleep the night before so that you're not falling asleep here. If you are falling asleep, I get it because you have long jobs. You work hard. Your kids uh, cry. and they, they do crazy things because they're kids. Drink coffee. Do something to keep yourself awake. It is good for you to be here when you are here, mentally. You must receive the word of God in order for it to change you. Just because you're here, you're not going to, through osmosis, become more Christ-like. Third thing, ask questions that you have about the sermon. If you have any questions about God, please ask them. It is good for you to ask them to know Christ better. 
And finally, for yourself, do not get bored with the gospel yourself. Throughout the week, preach to yourself when you wake up. I need Jesus today because I am a sinner today like I was yesterday. I do not know when judgment is coming. He will judge the living and the dead. If my time is today, am I ready to meet him? Am I eagerly awaiting him? So as I started this sermon with the conversion of Charles Spurgeon through preaching, so now I'll finish with Spurgeon after his conversion. He was 15 at conversion, and he preached to an estimated 10 million people and began to preach the next year at the age of 16. In 1851, the next year, Spurgeon following 2 Timothy 4.2, begins to preach the word. He preached a sermon on Psalm 9, 17, which says this, The wicked shall be turned to hell, and all the nations that forget God. That was his text. At the end of his sermon, he said, The sinner can bring no excuse, not ignorance, nor forgetfulness, want of heart, nor want of time, nor part obedience, nor the hardness of, of the law. The sinner can bring no excuse before God. There was a 49-year-old woman in the congregation that day. Her name was Hannah. She said that she could bring no excuse either. That day, she was born again. She surrendered her life to Christ, and then a deacon told Spurgeon the good news a little bit later, and he says, She was the first seal to my ministry, and a very precious one. I prize each one whom God has given me, but I prize that woman most. But at the time, he didn't know her, so he asked, Who is she? Who is this woman? And the deacon says, Oh, it is a poor laboring man's wife. She went home brokenhearted, but she has since found peace, and she says she would like to speak to you. On Monday morning, Spurgeon took a carriage to meet his first spiritual child, and he reflected how my heart leaped for joy when I heard tidings of my first convert. If anybody had said to me, Someone has left you 20,000 pounds, that's British for a lot of money, I should not have given a snap of my fingers for it compared with the joy which I felt when I, was Brit when I was told that God had saved a soul through my ministry. It was like a diver who has been down to the depths of the sea and brought up a rare pearl. The work of God goes on through preaching. God acts through his words. The church is built on the faithful preaching of God. Since Paul to now, there have been hundreds of generations to get to you that you would hear the word of God, the same word of God, to save you. Let us continue faithfully preaching this word that many more might come into eternal glory with us. Let us not neglect the most important message of Jesus Christ, death and resurrected for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for giving us your word. I thank you for you teaching us and, and guiding us, not just saving us and giving us no guidance, but Lord, you are with us every step of the way through your word. Lord, I thank you for acting through your word. I thank you for simply by someone speaking your word that we can be eternally forgiven of our sins by believing in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are so good to us. You are so kind to us. Thank you for appearing. 
to take away our sins. Thank you for showing up to forgive us of a debt that we could never repay. Lord, you are so kind to us. Help us to never forget the kindness and the love and the mercy shown to us by Christ. And as we finish up, Lord, help our hearts to be filled with thanksgiving to our God. Allow us, even as we give this morning, help us to give thankfully, not out of obligation, for you saved us willingly and joyfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.